Last week was a long episode, but we're back for more. I hope you're into some punishment too. It's episode five of On A Pair. It's three friends talking about the game they love, the team they follow, and all kinds of nonsense that goes with it. And as always, I'm with my good friend, Daryl Butler. How are you, Daz? I'm brilliant, Jim. How you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm really well. How's your week been? Yeah, fantastic. There was a new uh, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones album released this week, so I've been listening to that on repeat since Friday, so it's been, been great fun. Oh, good on you. You love a bit of Scar, don't you, Daz? Yeah, you can't beat it, can you, mate? No, I, I don't mind a bit of Scar myself. Trouble making on a Friday night with a few beers to go with it. Peter de Sonberg's it. with us as well. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm super, thanks, Jim. Excellent. How have you been spending your week, sir? Well, it took a few days to recover after our mammoth episode last week. Yeah, um, I've had relationships shorter than that episode, by the way. <laughs> and then uh, I've been having another route around the archives, trying to find details of my first wicket, or my, uh, my only wicket, uh, Wantage Road. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't find those. All I could find was proof that we did, in fact, lose to the Unicorns, and Josh Nappett did indeed play for them. Oh, I love a callback. That's a callback to episode two. I love that. Okay. Um, right, well, what did we find out? Was the Sherlock lost the Unicorns? What went down? We lost by three wickets with two balls to spare. Unfortunately, I'm going to pin the blame on Gareth Andrew, who didn't have a good day. Uh, he went for 47 runs off 4.4 overs. Oh, dear. Oh, Gareth Andrew used to use that mongoose bat, didn't he? Do you remember it had like a really long handle and a tiny little blade? Because it was supposed to get more leverage to hit oh, yeah, six. Oh, yeah, that was a great bat, yeah. There was a lot of controversy about that bat, wasn't there? Was, yeah. it made, was, it made, was it made out of bamboo, do you think? No, I'm pretty sure it's made out of willow. <laughs> That's the new thing, isn't it? Have you seen the, the bamboo cricket bats? No, no, I haven't seen the bamboo haven't cricket bat. I have seen the bamboo cricket bat. Is this a real thing? Absolutely, yeah. There's a, there's a willow shortage apparently. So it's it's um, well, according to the Guardian, it's going to save the planet, and according to the Daily Mail, it's uh, lefty woke lefties ruining our sport. So the right. truth is somewhere in between. So they genuinely, uh, yeah, so proper manufacturers are making bats out of bamboo now. No, it's a, a, there's some scientists have made a prototype out of bamboo, and they've suggested it uh, it might be. Uh, thing of the future so we'll see where that goes well a thing of the future for today that's the kind yeah. of podcast we are <laughs> gentlemen thing of the future. What an idiot. <laughs> um well i'll tell you what let's live in the now because i think it's probably time for the news and i suppose we better start with the fact that england are going to be back on terrestrial tv tell us about it does yeah it's great news isn't it um Two men's games and two women's games in the T20s. So it's uh, the men against Pakistan and Sri Lanka, obviously, and the women playing New Zealand and India are going to be shown live on the BBC. Uh, they've got all the test and ODI highlights as well, so that's good news. Um, I think they've got about 10 hundred games, haven't they? Now, uh, I know we're not big fans of the 100, but any sort of live cricket on terrestrial TV is a, a good news for me. Um, so, yeah, great to see England on, on live TV. Well, yeah, it's always it's always good for the game when it's that accessible because you've been saying for years, haven't you, that if you just put T20 on terrestrial TV at the start when they invented it, what, 20 years ago or whatever it was, then you wouldn't need the 100. Kids would be all over it. Absolutely, yeah. They, they, there was the first season there were some games on Channel 4 and then uh, when they binned uh, Channel 4 from the test matches, they binned them from the T20s as well. And there's so many games, so many T20 matches, Sky can't cover them all. But show some of them on the terrestrial TV, for goodness sake. And uh, thankfully, they are doing this year. So, um, see how it goes. I, I think um, with the county championship games being accessible on YouTube as well, I don't see any reason why they can't start showing some of those, maybe on the red buttons and what have you. I think it's, uh, it's a no-brainer to me. It can't cost that much to do it, can it? Yeah, quite right. If if there's a, if there's ways and means, and if it's not too expensive, yeah, why not? Get it on the Absolutely. telly box and get it in front of you. It j- just goes to show, on a cold April afternoon, people will watch Worcestershire versus Derbyshire, even if it's pretty much a dead game. So yeah, yeah get get it on the telly. Great news. Yeah, if it's on that red button. I'm going to go searching for it on YouTube. Have they? It's you know it's there. You see it advertised. Oh, yeah, have a quick look at that. Oh, I tell you, you what, you're watching it, aren't you? Round my partner's house, trying to get on one of those trendy modern TV remotes, trying to type out oh, Warwickshire yeah, versus true. Worcestershire in full for yeah. live stream drove me loopy. Mind you, I go around my mum's house. I can't even turn the telly on half the time. There's about four remotes. I've got no idea what any of them do. <laughs> She's just been There's keeping them over the years, mate. No idea. Isn't she? <laughs> Anyway, speaking of watching cricket, all good things, we're not far away from watching cricket in person at New Road, are we, Pete? 
No, we've got some uh, news from the club this week and that fans are going to be allowed back into New Road for the match against Derby on the 27th of May. So uh, that's fantastic news. The club have been making preparations for that. There's going to be cashless stadium. Uh, Wi-Fi has been extended across the ground so you can do food ordering uh, from your seat. Um, but it's a ticket ballot for members in the early stages. And I believe members have been emailed about the process for trying to uh, trying to get tickets for that game. Also, there's a tentative date of 21st of June for when New Road is going to be operating at full capacity. So fingers crossed for that. Yeah, great stuff. OK, um, right. Um, I have some news. Uh, I've got some actual real serious news. Stuff got a bit weird in Australia last week. Stuart McGill, the, uh, the former test spinner, was kidnapped he was abducted in an attempt to try and get money he was just, he was knocking about in sydney and a guy that he knew basically stopped him in the street for a trap and a car pulled up and two burly men bundled him into the back and took him to a warehouse <laughs> and tried to i mean we shouldn't be laughing that's terrifying <laughs> um so the ordeal lasted about an hour and he got minor injuries and um but fortunately um uh, he was released and he was you know relatively unharmed so um alarming stuff but it does give me a give me a chance to talk about Stuart McGill, if you'll permit me, gents. Of course. I'm, I'm just looking forward to the movie of that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's quite it's quite an anticlimactic movie. They just let him go when they realise he wasn't really rich. Um, I reckon uh, I reckon James Cameron can turn it into a classic. Yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, Stuart McGill. Here are my thoughts on Stuart McGill. I think he is the most underrated test bowler of all time that's a strong claim but i i can i can work with it okay here's my thinking he played test cricket for 10 years 1998 to 2008 he took 208 wickets in 44 tests now if you think about that 10-year period he is behind shane warne he's shane warne's understudy so in 10 years of test cricket he isn't getting regular games in a row He's playing if Shane Warne's injured. He's playing as a second spinner, right? So he's unless he's, they're going to uh, go into the subcontinent, he's not really getting a game, and he's still going to be behind Shane Warne. And he's playing in an era without DRS. He took 208 test wickets as a backup spinner. If he'd have played 10 years later, he'd have 700 test wickets, I promise you. For context, Nathan Lyon has made 100 test appearances. He has 399 wickets. And he's the premium spin bowler. He's the first choice spin bowler in this era for Australia. If Stuart McGill was playing 10 years later instead of Nathan Lyon, you could probably double that. How did he compare to the other other nation spinners of the time? Wickets per game, he's comparable to all of them. Um, He doesn't have anywhere near as many wickets as, as Murali... Or uh, be someone, someone like Ravi Ashwin, if you just extrapolate out and double his tests and then double his wickets, he's better than a Ravi Ashwin or he's better yeah, than a Harbhajan Singh. And they bowl on those wickets all the time. So Stuart well, McGill... As you, as you as say, an, he, only, he would only play as a second spinner when they go to a spinner-friendly conditions, wouldn't he? So do you take that into account? And he's also going as the second spinner to the greatest spinner of all time. I know murray has got more wickets, but Shane Warne was the oh, absolute yeah, greatest. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that, totally. So if watched him be, all day. But just imagine that, 208 wickets as a second-choice spinner in 44 games. So anyway, so that's, that, there's my thinking. Um, Most underrated bowlers of all time. Me and Pete will have to come up with the one for next week. Yeah, no, I like it. Fair shakes. We'll deal with that in due course. But anyway, so Stuart McGill, strangely kidnapped for his money. They realised he wasn't that loaded. They let him go, and he, he got a few cuts and bruises. I imagine a terrifying affair. But what we did manage to ascertain is that um, I think he is probably the most underrated bowler in Test cricket history. I think incredible talent. Anyway, like, well, nobody else has ever been kidnapped. Though. He's the best. All right, he's the he's the best test spinner to ever be kidnapped. How about that? <laughs> um, anyway, um, let's move on. Daz, Worcestershire watch. What's going on in the world of Worcestershire away from the first team? Rain, same as the first team. Um, <laughs> second was rained off. Uh, all week, so no uh, nothing happening there. But the women did get a game in. Well, two games in, actually. It was a doubleheader on Sunday against the Bears, a local derby. Unfortunately, they didn't go our way. Uh, we lost both games. First game was a close one. 26 runs we lost that one by. Uh, now, Warwickshire made 155 for two in that one. Uh, the Anderson, one for 19, probably the pick of the bowlers there. Um, Worcestershire were, we finished on 129 for four. We were 52 for one off the first 10, so still have plenty of wickets in hand, a little bit behind the rate, but looking... Uh, 
looking good with Millie Home and Chloe Hill at the crease there, but ended up uh, falling just short. So 129 for four, lost that one by 26 runs. And then the second game, I'm afraid, we had a bit of a hammering. Yeah, it was brutal, wasn't it? I was, yeah. I was, I was really looking forward to watching that as well because um, I had, had so many things to do with life admin during the morning and early afternoon. So I was looking forward to getting um, getting a watch of that. But um, yeah, sadly, uh, <clears throat> again, they, the Warwickshire part on 181 for five. So um, it was a big target anyway, and then uh, and then we were rolled over. I'm afraid for 68. Oh yeah, so, uh, yeah. Charis Pavley and Rachel Howells got into double figures for Worcestershire in that one. Um, pick of the bowling for us, probably Jenny Cotham. She took two for 14 from her over, so uh, good bowling performance. Yeah, that's there. a good show, isn't it? Well, the thing yeah. is, in those sorts of games, if you've got to go big, it doesn't make a difference how many you lose by, do you? You've got to, You've got to keep oh, up the rate. Yeah, yeah, Just yeah, keep... yeah, yeah. And it's the it's the off... modern way. Just keep swinging. Keep swinging. You're better off being 68 all out then. Falling just short, aren't you? And having wickets in hand, so have a go for it, see what happens. There we are. Not, I mean, a really strong start to the season. Not such a good day against the Bears, which is a shame. But um, yeah. hey, I mean, Chloe Hill gave us a shout. She's up for coming on the show, so we'll get her on oh, very, very that, soon. Yeah. Um, so that'll be great. Third in the table, Worcestershire, just to finish that one off. So uh, they're still still knocking them out towards the top, and they've got Somerset next week in the double header, and Somerset are the current leaders. So if we can oh. win uh, at least one of those, that'll keep us up. And then with a shout, finishing top of the group. Ah, oh, well, let's just win both and get to the top of the table. Oh, let's just do that. Yeah, no pressure, yeah. ladies, but um, but we're with you all the way. Right. Got, got another quick bit of news for you. Oh. Ben Dwarsis and Sandeep Lamishane, they're on their way to uh, to England because in just under a month's time, our Vitality Blast campaign gets off underway against Knots, so they should be with us uh, soon. Wow. News. Have you just papped them getting on a plane or something? Well, no, I say, I mean, they're probably just sat on the sofa. They're probably nowhere near coming to us. But uh, according to the club, they'll be with us imminently. OK, so the news is that something will happen probably soon. <laughs> uh, you can't you can't knock that for breaking news. You know, that's what we're here for on a pair. Right. Is Sam Cra- going to get here in time for Joe Wiley's 90s anthems? He must be playing in that. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't even born. No, he wasn't. <laughs> Um, right, gentlemen, let's move on to the meaty part of the show. And that is, of course, it was Derby week last week because Worcestershire travelled the short distance to Birmingham to take on Warwickshire. Uh, much anticipated and um, actually some uh, some changes to the lineup. The bowling rotation continued. Joe Leach came back into the side. There was a change in the middle order of the batting lineup. Uh, which was confirmed. Alex Gidman, just before the game, uh, let us know what was happening. He said this. I shall release Wadowick! That's right. <laughs> Gareth Roderick was uh, relieved of his duties in the first team. <laughs> He's alienated everybody under the age of about 40. <laughs> yeah, look, no one... There is no... There is, there is no... <laughs> There is no age limit to people who can enjoy and appreciate the life of Brian. Everybody knows this. I shall release. What do it? It is niche. It is niche, but it is objectively speaking. Standing on the pavilion at the end of the season. <laughs> anyway, um, Gareth Roderick, who's had a, he's had a sticky start to the season. We we don't ever really like to see players not given a got not given a long run, but there were so many batsmen making runs in the seconds that it was only a matter of time, really. And Jack Haynes stepped in. And uh, took his place at number four in the batting lineup. But yet again, boys, it's uh, five games, five draws. So if you're not aware of what happened at Edgebaston, well, we'll go through it for you. Worcestershire won the toss, stuck him in, and yet again struggled to bowl a team out. And it was 343 they made in the end. Uh, notable contributions: Yates made a hundred, Burgess made a hundred as well. What's your initial reaction then to the team's performance? Um, I, I think I'm going to take issue with you said we struggled to, to bowl the team out we, and it sounds like we're having issues with the bowling but we're, we're taking 15 wickets in innings we're just putting five of them down every time and it, I, yeah, we didn't have to bowl that well in the first session by their own admission but if you keep dropping that many catches and some of them simple ones drawing's the best we're going to do yeah, Dad, no, you're, you're absolutely right, mate. And you're right, the first session was, was wayward and Gidman was unhappy about it. And they did bowl well. I mean, um, Josh yeah, Tung... Yeah, two great sessions with the ball, by the way. Um, but, but yeah, it's right. Five catches went down yet again and several of them were straightforward. And so I mean, tr- struggling to bowl a side out. Yes, they were all out for 343, but we gave them 70, I think. Yeah, yeah, that could have been 250 quite easily. Wickets shared around again. Barnard, the, probably the pick of the bowlers, three to seventy-six, two each for Tongue and Leach and Dolivera. In reply, Worcestershire were 
Uh, again, strong with the bat. Contributions all the way down. Haynes made a fabulous 87. Barnard was 76, not out. Libby again in the runs with 74. Warwickshire had a little bit of a go with a bat on day four. I mean, for me, it was uh, it's obviously great to see young Haynes come in and, and do so well. But on, on the uh, issue of, of another draw, it was a shame, really, wasn't it? Because the rain took away what was going to be a likely result in some way, shape or form. It was It was almost an innings per day. We were on for a good finish, and, and the day that we lost completely killed the game. Um, so a bit of a different type of draw this time round, but uh, still uh, more points for us. We're sat third in the table, aren't we? Seven points behind Notts, who have picked up two wins, so we're still in the mix. Um, for me, though, got to get a win next week against Durham just to get that win on board and also just to pull away from them because they uh, they didn't play this week, so they've got a game in hand. On the bowling, I mean, Josh Tung looked off the pace early on but got better as the day went on. It was possibly the first half of the day was possibly the worst we've bowled all season, really. The second half of the second session on day one and the end of day one, I thought we bowled fabulously. You know, again, if we had held our chances, I, I was really frustrated. I'm always, I'm always the grumpy, angry one on the WhatsApp group, aren't I? Because the the difference is, is that Friday was always going to be the great day to bat. It was just going to be wall to wall sunshine. It was the best day for batting, and we should have had them nine down, if not all out, on the first day, and we didn't. And um, yeah. we let we let Burgess and Briggs pile on the runs. And the difference there is, if they're two seventy all out, we're in a position by which we don't we can't lose the game. And actually, as a result of all those drop catches, we ended up being in a position by the end of day two of not being able to win the game, realistically. That was my frustration. But I think the way that we played on day four, particularly how composed uh, Jack Haynes was, um, I I thought he was fabulous. Another positive, there's no sort of middle-order batting claps. Everyone got into the sort of late teens and early 20s, didn't they? There was um, no two, three wickets in a row like that has been in some of the other games. Jack Haynes was, I mean, that was the only way they were going to get in eight, I think, wasn't it? He, he, was, he looked so composed, so concentrated. He, he was definitely on for that turn. Um, he was run out by Norwell backing up. And it was, um, I think, was it Barnard who hit just that a beautiful straight drive? Lovely crisp um, on drive. And, um, and Norwell just stuck out a finger and just managed to redirect it onto the yeah. stumps. And Haynes got run out at the non-striker's I don't know, end. I don't even think he did try to redirect it. I think he just stuck out a finger to try and stop the ball. Yeah. He just got oh, it, was, it was complete, complete fluke. Complete fluke. fluke. But um, yeah, he looked, uh, he, he looked in great nick, didn't he? he yeah. <laughs> Just to double back uh, on the, something you said in the first inning, Jim, I completely agree. Um, it was a shame, really, having won the toss and, and choosing to field. Obviously, we didn't get the early wickets that we wanted. And as you say, we just leaked too many runs, didn't we? We didn't have that, that control that we had. Um, and that completely agree with you with the points you make about the fielding. We pride ourselves on being a good field inside. And to see the amount of drop catches that we'd have this season is something that is extremely frustrating and obviously we'll be wanting to put right as soon as possible. Yeah, and well actually I, I it was it was funny really. I I found after the first two days I was really I was really angry. I just thought it's it's unnecessary to put yourself in a position by which that that's another game that we can't win because we have to take as Daz said 15 16 wickets to bowl a sign out. But by the end of day 4 I felt really positive because I thought Barnard played every kind of innings imaginable in his 76. Yeah. Well, that, um, I mean, that was the good thing about the rain, wasn't it? We could have a free hit at trying to get to the 350. It was quite an exciting hour either side of lunch, wasn't it? With, uh, yeah. Well, there was, Barnard and Leach. Well, that's um, it. There was, a, there was a game within a game because... We'd have probably, we'd have probably not got that batting point if it hadn't rained because we wouldn't have gone for it. And so we, we might well be a point up because of the rain. Yeah. Yeah, and you've got well, 100... Haynes at 289, and that was the end of, the, I think that was the last ball of the 102nd over. So we so, needed 60 off eight overs, didn't we? Yeah, so we, we, were, go- we were always going to get to 300 to get, the, uh, to get the, uh, the third batting point. But to try and, get, try and get the fourth and get to 350, we really had to get a wriggler on. And Barnard stepped up and went into one-day mode, and he was nerdling and, and timing it. He's just, he's just great under pressure. I love his composure under pressure. And Joseph, I'm oh, sorry, Joseph, I can't get <laughs> enough of this lad. Because I, I went absolutely nuts on the WhatsApp group because the first ball he faced, he launched Briggs over long arm for a massive six. First ball, just cleared his front leg out of the way and just beautiful swing of the bat through the line of the ball for six so um he hit hit two fours and one six to really get things rolling and ended up holding out at long on 
Um, but with a couple of balls to spare, we managed to creep up to 350 and get that extra batting point. And um, it was quite exciting because Warwick needed one more wicket to get the extra bowling yeah, point right, as yeah. well. So there was a little game within a game there. But after, after that was done, it was pretty much ended as a contest. But I think that sort of that um, spurt of energy, the innings from Haynes, the way Barnard played his cricket and the intent that Joseph and Leach showed down the order, I think will mean that Worcestershire leave Edgbaston feeling pretty positive, actually, because they did bowl well. They did bowl well when they got another chance at Warwickshire. I thought Josh Tung started yeah. to get into his rhythm, was becoming more accurate, and Joseph looked a handful. He took two wickets for 22 in Warwickshire's 70 for three as the game sort of meandered towards the draw. So I think Worcestershire they can feel pretty good about the way the game ended up going. Can I circle back to the uh, bowler rotation policy? Because yes. I've been having, having a look at it, and obviously... Made some comments last week and, and Daz, with his committee hat on, uh, made a very logical point and I, I climbed down a little bit. But uh, Barnard's now played five matches and he's bowled 144 overs. So is he exempt from the rotation policy because he's an all-rounder? And we obviously mentioned Joseph. Is he exempt being the overseas signing? He's now played four matches in a row. So I'm interested to know how this plays out. I can understand having a policy for Leach and, and Tung, both of whom have had injury issues in the past. But... Who does it apply to and who doesn't it? Well, I mean, one, we don't know. Two, I'd say at the moment, you can't leave Barnard out the side. Because um, he's he's, uh, no, he's up I, there. In, he, he, I mean, at the moment, he has to play. Um, and especially, I mean, we're going to we're going to Durham, and that is result central. Chestiller Street, there will be a result. Even if it rains for three days, you fancy there being 40 wickets in a day. Because it's, it's just mayhem up there. So... It's, yeah, I think if you take Barnard out, you lose a batsman, first of all. And Joseph's only, I think, playing six games for us, is he? So what's the point in resting him for one of them? Yeah, good point. So I think you're likely going to see both of those play at Durham. I mean, But then who knows? I mean, how much of a rotation policy is a rotation policy? It doesn't say that he has to change it every single week. What he does say is that it, you know he, he's trying to alleviate undue stress on the body. If their body's fine, they can play, then, then he just picks the team he thinks is best. I completely um, agree with all of that. I just was a little bit concerned that you're stopping Tongue, Pennington and Leach from finding a good rhythm, you know, continuing good form. I worry that you're disrupting it um, and then you're, you're not necessarily concerned about the stress on, on say, Barnard. So I understand that in principle, it just seems a little bit um, ad hoc and I, I'm interested to see how it plays out for the rest of the yeah. season. I look, it's, it's a good point. I mean, Josh Tongue looks like the kind of guy that needs to bowl. Um, it looks like he needs o- overs in his legs to be uh, his most uh, most effective. Uh, Joe Leach just, I mean, he to be honest, he, he looked the most dangerous of the bowlers in the first innings. He was one in the first two sessions, he was on it. He was beating the outside edge and he was getting the ball to move when uh, everyone else really was a little bit pedestrian. So I'm not sure he necessarily needs the needs needs the games in a row. But I, I think it's a really valid point, Pete, because there are plenty of bowlers at all levels of cricket that just need to bowl to be anywhere near as effective as they want to be. So it's a, it's a, it's a good point, and I suppose we'll find out in the, uh, in the weeks to come. I mean, just a, a few stats for you, just to uh, sort of uh, round it off, really. Um, obviously, the averages aren't that good, given the amount of overs that we've bowled. Uh, but Dolly's got the most wickets, 12 wickets at an average of 48. Uh, then Barnard, 11 wickets at an average of 33. Joseph, 10 wickets at an average of 38. Um, and then you're sort of down into single figures after that. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, what you mentioned about Barnard and Joseph being the top two seamers, that's obviously about that up. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at the stats for the most successful county bowlers this season, and there isn't a Worcestershire bowler anywhere near the top fifty, that does feel very uncomfortable, doesn't it? Based on where we normally play our cricket and how things tend to go, it is a strange feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Flip side of that, we're top of the batting points, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, we could literally just set up shop on New Road, on the tarmac, because that's what it's like, isn't it, now? Um, I mean, just on the uh, batting stats, uh, Libby, obviously, at the top, averaging 97, 485 runs. He's amongst the top, top batsmen in the country, as you might expect. Then it's Barnard, 320 run, one runs, and then you're below 200 for everyone else. So it shows how weak the sort of middle order has been um, and how much we've been relying on Libby and, and the lower order batsmen. Yeah, that's very true. Um, and, and again, as, as we've been pointing out, because we follow the seconds, is that, I mean, uh, Wessels, I don't know I don't know how comfortable he's feeling at the moment because he's dropping catches for fun. 
Well, they did take an absolute belter as well. But um, he and Mitchell are... I suppose there's, there's reason for them to be a little bit concerned. and it, you, you, We may well find, depending on how the season goes, it's a long way to go, of course, but depending on how the season goes, the uh, the top six could end up looking very different at the end of the season than it does at the start. If if Whiteley and, uh, and Josh Dell get a chance, and if Barnard keeps batting the way he does, then who's to say he doesn't come in at number six? You know, any other thoughts then, boys? Um, on the uh, on the Warwickshire draw, I mean, do we again? I say this every week. We've played five, we've drawn five, and I still don't know if we're any good. I think no, just to echo what you've already said is that we we come away with a bit of momentum from from the Warwickshire game, uh, another good draw against a, a good side. But you know, we want to see a win sooner rather than later, and against Durham is a, a good opportunity. As I mentioned, because of the game in hand, they've got just put a distant bit of distance between us and them. Yeah, let's hope we win the toss and stick them in, eh? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, we keep racking up the batting points. We're not going to lose many games. Let's, uh, if, we, if we nick a couple of wins on the way, we'll be in that top two, I reckon. Yeah, fair point. Can't argue with that, Daz. Anyway, it's an interesting an interesting week's cricket, and it's uh, certainly an awful lot more fun than the last couple of games that we've had to, let's face it, endure. I think the word is endure. Anyway, gentlemen, let's move on. And now, this. Honours board. My favourite thing in the entire show. <laughs> the Honour Pair Honours Board jingle featuring our very own Daryl Butler. So, gentlemen, this is our opportunity to acknowledge the fine performances of players that don't play for Worcestershire. So, um, Daryl, let's go to you, mate. Who do you like yeah. this week? Well, I'm going to play it safe again this week. I'm going to Lords. I'm going Gloucestershire. Against uh, Middlesex against Gloucestershire and Gloucestershire's David Payne, who took six wickets in the second innings to bowl into victory. Uh, a couple of good courts and bowls in there as well, if you have a look at the uh, highlights of that one. Five in the first innings, 11 in the match. David Payne, Gloucestershire looking very, very good this season, and he is my pick. Uh, I mean, Gloucestershire are playing some brilliant cricket, aren't they? They're looking uh, very, very good. I mean, Which is unusual in, in four-day cricket. They, they, well, they had a good 2019, didn't they, actually, before the pandemic? But, uh, they for years not uh, they've been languishing down the bottom end of the the table in the uh, in the red ball game. They're winning in all kinds of ways, and it's batting and bowling that are turning up for them. I mean, an eleven for. I mean, there, there have been some yeah. sterling bowling performances, uh, and to do it at Lords, that's quite nice, yeah, isn't it? Top notch, isn't it? I mean, yeah, you can't beat it. Daz, you're on a roll, man. From my point of view, I can't argue with that at all. What do you reckon, Pete? I'd like to find ground to protest, but unfortunately, I don't think I can. He's presented a very solid case. <laughs> yeah, she sure has. Laying it safe. So, um, there we are, the house of pain. He's in. Jobs are good and <laughs> Well done, Daz. I mean, that, that was succinct to the point. Nailed it. Easy. I can breathe a sigh of relief, relax, and uh, lay into you two now. So, where have you gone for, Jim? <laughs> right. Well, okay. <laughs> I am going for, I think, possibly, this will be the gutsiest honour pair honours board nomination. It's going to outdo Peter de Sonberg's um, no. Wayne Parnell last week. Okay. <laughs> Sussex versus Northamptonshire. Northamptonshire, another great win. They hammered Sussex by an innings and 120 runs. In this game, there were, blimey, there were four fifers, uh, which that must be close to some kind of record, but the That's player I'm going for... The player I'm going for as uh, as my honour pair honours board nomination is Tommy Taylor from Northamptonshire. Let me just go through his stats for the game. First innings, eight overs, naught for thirty-seven. With the bat oh, in the first innings, so far. with the f- first innings with the bat, forty-four not out in a total of four hundred and forty-one for nine declared. And his bowling figures for Sussex second innings, he bowled eight point two overs, one for twenty-two. So I'd like to nominate Tom Taylor on the honours board for his 1 for 22 and 44 not out. And the reason I'm doing that is that in uh, in Sussex's first innings, all 10 wickets were taken by Sanderson and Berg. Both got a 5 for. Sanderson 5 for 28, Berg 5 for 18. In the second innings, Sanderson got another 5 for, 5 for 71. Berg got a 4 for. So they nearly got a five for a piece in both innings. Were it not for Tom Taylor, who took the last wicket of the match to ruin everything and bowl Carson for 10. So he got the one wicket that Sanderson and Berg didn't get in the entire match. Tommy Taylor has ruined Gareth Berg's life. And I think it's funny. 
There were only three bowlers that took yeah. wickets for North Ants. Sanderson, a fiver and a fiver. Berg, a fiver and a fourfer. And he was bowling the other end when Taylor took the last wicket of the so, game. So you want to pick somebody for being the third best bowler in the match? Uh, fourth best, because Robinson got five for thirty-eight well, yeah, sorry, for their team. Yeah, yeah, but what I want, what, yeah, but what this unlike Par now, he did actually win his team the game. More to the, the point, the match, does so. here's here's my here's my reasoning, because everyone but everyone was willing Berg to get his five for as well. So they both got a pair of fivers each. <laughs> How much courage and determination and will has Tom Taylor got to say, "Not today, sir. I'm having my piece of the action." I'm not rolling over and playing soft cricket. I play hard till the end. And he got in there and he nicked himself He nicked himself a castle. He bowled Carson for 10. And I think it's a gutsy determination of a professional cricketer doing his job. It's, it's, it's just professionalism. Yeah. I think for, for me, to know whether this goes on or not, was it a, what's the context of the bold? Was it a really good delivery, you know, a Yorker? Or was it an inside edge as the batsman tried to cut it? Was it was it a belter or was it a, a bit of no? Luck? It was it was a regulation bowler tail ender, mate. I'm afraid it was not, There was nothing sexy about it. It was just the context that was joyous. Well, then for me, I, I think you're right to mention it. I, I like your reasoning, but he doesn't get a place for me. Uh, I mean, I can't argue with it. it. It's a gutsy call. It was a gutsy call. Daz, have you have you got anything to back um, me up here? I can't allow it either. I, I, that's it's that's madness. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's just absolute madness. I, we're going to be picking people next week just because they've annoyed Warwickshire or something, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, no, no, not having it. Oh, come on. Oh. ridiculous decision. <laughs> what, what are you thinking? I, t- I really <laughs> liked it. I just, you know, it was better than going, oh, which which Surrey batsman got another hundred this week? I just thought, I'd just mix it up. It was a cool story. All right, look, I've mucked it up. Fair enough. I've missed the boat. It is what it is. Pete? Pete, can you restore some sort of credibility to this podcast by picking someone proper? I shall. Um, well, firstly, Jim, welcome to the Honours Board Subsequence with me. So it's, it's nice <laughs> over here. Uh, but I've gone for a good pick. I'm feeling confident. It's Craig Overton of Somerset. In the first innings, he took two for 16 off 11 overs as Hampshire uh, were dismissed for 79. In reply, he hit 74 off 93 balls as Somerset posted a total of 336. And in the second innings, he took five for 66 off 40 overs as Hampshire were dismissed for 258. The only downside of this performance is he wasn't allowed to open the batting and knock off the two runs that they needed for victory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not acceptable. The captain's had a shocker. Wow. I mean, ruthless efficiency, Pete. There was no Ruth there at all, was there? Daz, what are your thoughts? Craig Overton, he had a hell of a, yeah, he had a, hell of a week, didn't he? Game, didn't he? Yeah. he came in, were they in a bit of trouble when he came in as well? Because he got, he got those runs at the, he, he, he bat at 7-8. Yeah, he does, yeah. Quick look there. Oh, nine, yeah, he yeah, he, nine look. Jeez. Got, I mean, well, look at that batting lineup though. I know, I know they had, yeah. um, there was Night Watchman, wasn't there? Because uh, Gregory came in behind him as well. Ah, uh, okay, right. Um, so yeah. what, you know, what a nine and ten, Overton and Gregory. But yeah, he made a 74. Uh, and 10, 10 boundary fours in that as well. And he got him at a good lick. So, um, yeah, he's had a cracking season, actually, isn't he? Yeah, lovely job, yeah. He uh, is. I think he's top of the bowling stats uh, for the for the whole tournament. So, yeah, he's having a great season. Just to also mention from that game, Lewis Gregory took four for 26 in the first innings and Josh Davey took seven wickets, including a fifer in the second innings. So just a generally all-round competent performance from Somerset. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, Overton, he's got to be knocking on the door for a test start this summer. Um, I know I know there's a, there's a bit of a close shot with the Seamers at the moment, as long as Anderson and Broad are still in the frame. But he's been that good, it's hard to ignore him, and he's had a little bit of a sniff of Test cricket before. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like you say, knocking on the door for Test cricket, top of the bowling averages for the season. England have got to be looking at him again, haven't they? Uh, I suppose honourable mentions, yeah. Ollie Robinson had a good season for Sussex. 49 not out and 5 for 58 in that hammering at Northampton. And 10 for 99 for Sanderson, 9 for 85 for Berg, brilliant, brilliant performances, and I should have picked one of those three, but I'm an idiot and I ruined it, and I didn't. So there we are. They get they get honourable mentions, but none of them get on the board. Um, and then quick quick look around the counties, really some more big wins, lots of draws because of the weather. Lancashire Glamorgan didn't get anywhere near uh, a conclusion. Neither did Yorkshire and Kent. They didn't get out into the second innings, and obviously we know about Warwickshire and Worcestershire, but Nottinghamshire win by an innings and thirty runs against Essex. Somerset win by ten wickets. And uh, Northampton with that massive win over Sussex. Uh, and as was mentioned before, Gloucestershire win by seven wickets comfortably within three days. Um, so more big wins despite the rain delays across the country, boys. 
Nottingham um, contenders after three seasons without a win. Yeah, I mean, you've got to look at it. I mean, we are we are the the group that just keeps on drawing, and they've won yeah. two on the bounce. Two wins could be enough. Two wins probably be enough if they keep drawing the same as the rest of the group. That, that will be enough, wouldn't it? Though? Just yeah. goes to show what confidence, uh, what a good result does for confidence, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think it also demonstrates that we we are in a division really where or a group where pretty similar ability across the board, isn't there? And I was going, well, Derbyshire are cut adrift, but they're not. They've only played four games. Uh, they're 26 points behind us in third, and they've got a game in hand. Another another interesting round of county championship cricket and a much more interesting game against our fierce rivals. On to Durham next week, and I think there's a reasonable chance of a result. Um, anyway, let's move on. It's any other business time. Last week, I set the homework, and it was because of this. I've listened to it. I think it's very good. There we are. Frank Watson, the commentator for BBC Hereford and Worcester, um, covers Worcestershire games, and is a fine commentator too. So it got me thinking, who is your favourite commentator of all time? Slash, who is the best commentator of all time? So let's come to you first, Daz, because you've got a couple of people you want to talk about. And um, the first one is this chap. Bradman goes back across his wicket and pushes the ball gently in the direction of the, House of, the Houses of Parliament, which are out beyond mid-off. It doesn't go that far. It merely goes to Watkins at silly mid-off. No runs till 117 for one. Two slips, a silly mid-off and a forward short leg close to him as Holly pitches the ball up slowly and he's bowled. That's the poetic John Arlott there describing Donald Bradman's last delivery or last ball in test match cricket at the Oval now absolutely poetic and I think the best bit for me of that uh, piece of commentary is just the way he, he says he's bold and you can sense and hear the disappointment in his voice followed by absolute silence and let the crowd do the talking for the uh, for the listeners there I think that's uh, absolutely brilliant there's no commentator today that would have the sense to keep the mouth shut when they need to there and, and I think that makes it for me. So John Arlott's my first pick. Absolutely a, wonderful, poetic voice and uh, the voice of cricket for me. That's such a good shout, does. It's a really good point, isn't it, is that when you think people calling games, that sometimes you just let it give it space because, of course, Bradman gets out for naught and then his uh, test match average dips below 100. And yeah, that sort right, of yeah. element of shock and everyone's kind of going, oh, wow, because they know what it means. Yeah, one of the biggest moments in, in the sports history. And, and there's that there's that lovely element in playing the ball out towards the Houses of Parliament, which is yeah. really nice. Um, so, Imagine saying it doesn't quite reach the Houses of Parliament. But, uh, um, no, that that would be a hell of a hit, wouldn't it? That's about one point six miles. Um, so is 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 is, Arlott, is he your number one? Well, um, he's uh, see, I didn't grow up listening to Arlott, of course. He, he he retired long before I started listening to cricket. So. Uh, I think my number one's going to be somebody that I... It's got to be somebody that I grew up with, hasn't it, really? And somebody, I think, equally poetic and uh, equally apt at letting silence, letting the pictures do the talking, is, of course, Richie Benno. Yeah. Um, straight talking when he needs to be. You know, the the, travel, uh, the Trevor Chapel underarm incident, uh, and he was absolutely outraged by that. And, and I don't think we've got the clip of that, but uh, if, you, if you look that one up, it, it's... Um, he was a very distinct voice, and it's someone that if you grew up listening to cricket, whether it was the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, or even the mid-2000s, then that, that Antipodean lilt, uh, well, he's just got a lovely voice. And here, here, here he is signing off in uh, at the end of uh, his stint commentating in England, at least. Um, it's a little bit emotional. So here's, um, here's uh, Richie Benno. Time to say goodbye. At can add to that thank you for having me it's been absolutely marvellous for 42 years I've loved every moment of it and uh, it's been a privilege to go into everyone's living room throughout that time what's even better it's been a great deal of fun but not so for the batsman McGrath has picked him up Late in the day, he's got a beauty through Kevin Peterson. You can hear it in his voice, can't you? You know, yeah, he knows. And then seamless transformation into back into a cricket commentator when when Peterson has his off stump removed. 
But he was as as a cricketer, as he was wrist spinner and a and a lower order batsman, a fiery cricketer, really really talented guy. And so he had that fire in his belly as well. And he 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 would bring his views into into the commentary box. He wasn't he wasn't afraid to um to tuck in. But that yeah, what what quite poignant because that's um that wicket and ticket that 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 um clipped delivery that I I remember particularly when I first started watching Test cricket in the early nineties. There, does um you're going to make me cry, mate. Oh, mate. <laughs> But let me tell you something fun about uh, Arlo and Benno, actually. Another on. reason why I like them. Benno, first of all, he shares my hatred of Mexican waves at cricket grounds. I remember listening to where he, uh, there's a Mexican wave goes up. You don't want to get your, he, your pint elbowed out of your hand, do you? Yeah, oh, I, I don't get it. Usually it happens as well when there's a good atmosphere or a close game and some idiot tries to start a Mexican wave and it completely ruins everything. Yeah, it baffles me. But um, Benno just comes out with the line, um, refried beans and Mexican waves. Mexicans have got a lot to answer for. I think it's absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Like. And um, here's an Arlott fact for you, if you like. Go on. Just to, to add to what I said earlier. Do you know where he played his one and only, or appeared in his one and only first class cricket match? I don't. New Road. I should have guessed it, based on New what Road. we do. <laughs> he... Um, he used to follow Hampshire, his beloved Hampshire, all around the country. And uh, in 1938, they were they didn't have a 12th man at New Road, and they uh, the, the captain was injured, had to go off, and uh, on came John Arlott into the field. I love uh, that. It's literally so, you know when you when you're uh, a kid and your dad only first class appearance. Yeah. Your dad says, "Oh, bring your boots. You might come on as a sub." You might come on exactly. It. Yeah, exactly. It. Mm. Well, what about um, where does uh, where does Benno rank for you, Pete? Oh, he would have been right up there as well. He was one of my top two picks. So exactly the same. He was the main voice that I heard as I was getting into cricket as a youngster. So, yeah, completely echo what Daz has said there. But Daz has pinched that one from me. So uh, I've come up with the following. Here's Cummins. Bowls and it's short. Oh. Very well played. So Stokes going for the run. Through they come. England can't lose. Well played, Jack Leach. He's off the mark. And he's going to give Stokes a little tap of the gloves. Stokes is on strike. England need one to win. They can't lose. 3.58 for nine. Stokes on strike. England need one to win. And in comes Pat Cummins from the far end. He bowls to Stokes, who hammers it for four! And stands there with the bat raised. I can't believe we've seen that. Uh, it's Agus, Pete. Of course it's it Agus. I got excited just listening to that bit of commentary and I got wrapped up in that. Um, yeah, Agus. Um, I've always been a, a bigger fan of listening to commentary on the radio. In fact, uh, my ideal is, do you remember football a few years ago when they allowed you to have the five live commentary on the red button, but with the, the live pictures? Uh, that's, my, that's my ideal. So Test Match Special is how I like to listen to my cricket. And Agus has held that together for many, many years. I don't think it matters really who's who's alongside him. Uh, Agus and Tuffers is always a good good combo. Uh, Vaughan, uh, Blowers, you know all of these people. But the, the mainstay of it all is is Agnew, and he's able to you know read that situation and, and convey everything that's going on to you and make you feel like you're part of the ground. So yeah, Jonathan Agnew is my pick. That's a that's a good shout. Actually, what you say about that is that he just he works well with everybody, doesn't he? Yeah, definitely. He does the fun side just as well as he does the serious side, um, and, he, and he's one of the best commentators. Well, he's probably the best TMS commentator. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I'm, I'm, there we are. I mean, he's now, I think, really for for people who are probably twenty to sixty, he's now entirely synonymous with BBC coverage, isn't he? Yeah, who yeah. else do you think of? Um, I mean, perhaps, perhaps blowers. Um, but you know, his 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 tenure sort of come to an end. But I think as someone who calls the game, I think Agnew is is, is far superior, really. Yeah, I quite agree. He's in a way sort of the last one of the old guard left, isn't he? Really. Yeah, yeah that's what well, it feels like to me. I don't. Yeah. Yeah, it's like um, Agas is sort of like um, he's he's it's like being the last gang in town. Um, which brings me on to you know me. I'm uh, I'm a modern progressive sort of human. Um, I haven't gone for a classic pick. Both excellent shouts, by the way, and I like the um, the the nod to Arla as well because that's history and heritage, and we're all about that. But um, I think, well, he's certainly my favourite. Maybe not the best, but my favourite is Ian Smith, the New Zealander. Seven weeks of cricket, forty-eight games, one ball, his bolt. 
They're going to push. Are we in for a super over? They've got to go quick. They've got to go quick. Out. I'm sure he's out. We're going to a super over. Two to win. Gattel's going to push for two. They've got to go. It's got to throw. He's got to go to the keeper's end. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. By the barest of all margins. Absolute ecstasy for England. Agony. Agony for New Zealand. Oh, man. He's living every second of it. And there's just something likeable about him. He's a he's an everyman. He isn't ever... Um, authority. He's never got that sense that he wears a blazer and he's part of a club. You don't get that feeling that he goes to the meetings with the top brass or the. he doesn't go hobnobbing with it. He's down the pub and he's drinking beer with all the normal folk and he's telling stories. Yeah, and I absolutely. really love that about him. And he may not be the greatest wordsmith in the world, but about conveying the emotion of a game and what's happening, I think he's brilliant. And I think particularly in that World Cup final, he and Nasser Hussein absolutely nail it because I think probably for me Nasser Hussein is the best commentator doing it at the moment in terms of his insight and his intuition for the moment but Ian Smith is my favourite because you can never really say that Nasser Hussein is your favourite anything I think in principle you can't do that how he's conveyed the joy of England supporters and the England team in that moment when he's just watched his side lose the World Cup by an inch or whatever it was yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely fantastic work. Really impressive. I mean, I couldn't do it. I don't think many people could. You, you, you would be absolutely gutted, wouldn't you? And for him yeah. to still convey that excitement, that enjoyment, the, um, the, the his voice, it was he was happy for England, wasn't he? And, yeah, and it, 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 what it was there. That was fantastic bit of commentary. That was that was the voice of a man who just thoroughly enjoyed watching an excellent game of cricket. You know, he's just got a completely wrapped up in it and of course as you say it's got nothing to do with that uh, that partisan nature of, of the team that he he's forced he's just been thoroughly uh, embroiled in in what was a super game so yeah good good for, pick, co- Jim. for context um the aggers clip that we played i played it really a long clip because that was just an incredible day's cricket with ben stokes for context in the commentary box with aggers was alistair cook and glenn mcgrath and glenn mcgrath throughout all that just took his headphones off and opted out because he was livid about them not they basically they burned a review on a decision that was never going to get him out and then um yeah. i think it wasn't, wasn't there was the there was a there was well. a plum lbw that lions lions should have had the wicket to win the game yeah. and they, but he he just basically he he down tools and walked yeah. and there the was line that, that run out chance as well which he dropped the, yeah. the ball on the return throw they better won that by that's by one run so and yeah. then you have in the in the commentary box of that World Cup, it was Ian Bishop and Nasser Hussain and Ian Smith. And all those key moments, it was Smith driving the whole programming. And I thought it was brilliant. Um, and that's the difference for me. He's there and he's he, he's there for the love of the game of cricket. And it just it just pours out of him. Um, so there we are. Um, that, I think, is the most sensible any other business we have ever done. <laughs> Wasn't it? <laughs> it was, we're going to have yeah, to put an end to that. It was uh, it was considered. It was there was an element of nostalgia. There was real craft in it. There were some um, lovely cricketing moments. And then for once, we all thought about that. It was it was like it was proper. I mean, I didn't have to think about it. I, I gave the right answer. But, uh... Yeah. Well, I mean, what you've done there, Daz, is what you often do is just sort of ruin it at the end. Um, you know, we for once we've endeavoured to do something sincerely and well, and you just you just thought, no, I'm uh, I'm having that. Thanks very much. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, right, <laughs> gentlemen. Should we go from the sensible to the ridiculous, shall we, for next week? Okay, yeah, I'm I'm up for that. We, what are you thinking? Yeah, well, we had a, a texting, texting, a tweeting from Jonah, uh, who's regularly listening to us. So, hello, Jonah, and he said, following Jack Haynes' unlucky dismissal in the week against Warwickshire, what's the strangest or unluckiest dismissals we've seen? Right. So, what do you our, think of that? What he's basically saying is our favourite ridiculous dismissal. Yeah, ridiculous dismissals. Yeah, there we go. Okay, no, yeah, I'm down with that. Um, do you guys ever have that dream where um, you're you, you do you have that getting ready to go out to bat dream where you can't find your pads or you can't get your shoes on or your gloves won't work mm. and and you're worried about no. not making it out to the wicket? The one I have is that I've got two left gloves. Pete, um, I don't have that dream. If you remember what my high score is, I just have a recurring nightmare that I'm asked to bat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
just can we bowl first and then I can feign injury in the field or something? Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, okay, well, there we are then. Any other business next week? Our favourite ridiculous dismissal. Um, I'm on board with it. That sounds good to me. Um, and there, I think we should probably... Oh, no, we can't end it. We can't end it just yet because um, we've had a shout from Joe Bly, another long time. I say long time listener. This is only episode five, <laughs> but he's been all five weeks. <laughs> he's stuck with us longer he's been than with us since the start. Uh, and yeah, he wanted to know about our our theme music. So the theme music, and um, that we'll play it out as well. We'll play it in full because it's brilliant. It's a Worcester band, and they're called Desert Boots. They're all about the funk and soul. And um, Leifer and Rich and Phil and Dell and uh, Chris, who make up the band, uh, they're all from Worcester, and they're all fabulous humans, uh, and they know how to get it done. Um, and on that musical bombshell, I think it's time to move on with our lives. So if you want to get hold of us, you can find us on Twitter at on underscore a underscore pair. If you want to get hold of Daryl Butler, you'll find him at B back home, all one word. I'm Jim Dale. You'll find me at at James F. Dale. And if you want to get hold of Peter de Somburg, he'll be somewhere at New Road when it reopens with his old cricket boots, hoping he'll get on as 12th man. That'll do us. Here's Desert Boots. Peace. my phone.